Welcome to Wallace Books and the Jello Wars podcast. I'm your host, Bob Wallace. Whoever thought that children with cancer would be the ones to lift us from our existential funk? Their wisdom, simple and personal, yet profound and universal, helps us circumnavigate these perplexing times. And fortunately, you don't have to walk in their hospital slippers to benefit. Wallace Books presents Jello Wars and Other Battles with Childhood Cancer. It's a book, it's a podcast, and it's life-changing. Because the kids have much to teach, and we, the healthy, have much to learn. Thanks for showing up. This podcast is brought to you by Arizona Camp Sunrise and Sidekicks. Arizona Camp Sunrise was one of the first childhood oncology camps in the world. For 40 years, they've been providing an awesome summer camp experience for children who have or have had cancer. And AZ Camp Sidekicks offers the same fun for the siblings of a child with cancer. Camp is coming soon. Camp Sidekicks is the last week in June, and Camp Sunrise the first week in July. The experience of a lifetime awaits. And thanks to the Southwest Kids Cancer Foundation, it's 100% free of charge. If you'd like to enroll a child for one of the camps, to volunteer as a camp counselor, or donate to an amazing cause, go to azcampsunrise.org. It's fun. It's exciting. And it's life-changing. Go to azcampsunrise.org and make a difference for both you and a child with cancer. azcampsunrise.org. Do it. Welcome back to Jello Wars. I'm Bob Wallace. So far, we've learned about pirates and children with cancer and superheroes and Jello Wars and statistics and Sharknadoes and Spam and comic books and creativity and Bigfoot. What more is there to learn at a summer camp? Lots more. Camp begins in, like, two days. Camp Sidekicks, our camp for the siblings of children with cancer, kicks off this weekend. And Camp Sunrise follows starting next weekend. The two camps have much in common. And, if you've ever shared a cabin with ten or so male campers, today's topic is bound to come up. Let me just go on the record and say, I'm sorry. Okay, just to air things out a bit, we'll also have a fresh take on Russia. Thanks for supporting Camp Sunrise and Sidekicks, and thanks for allowing children with cancer to improve your life. Let's get back to Jello Wars. I hope the Russians love their children, too. The 1980s were a weird time. Phones were rotary, hair was feathered, and clothing was day-glow. It was the heyday of slasher films, Pac-Man, Prince, and Madonna. We had yuppies, 
hair metal, and a life-threatening new virus. No, not COVID. Back then, it was HIV. It was a decade when computers were just becoming personal, New Coke had a bad idea, and MTV actually played music. Of course, there was also the ever-present threat of nuclear holocaust. Tick-tock. Adults called it the Cold War, even though it wasn't actually a war. The USA and the Soviet Union were both posturing with enough nuclear weapons to demolish the entire world. The president and the news media toted the Soviet Union as the evil empire and told us we should expect nuclear holocaust at any moment, day or night. Schoolchildren practiced covering their heads and hiding under their desks, as if that would prevent the annihilation of the world at large. Like I said, weird times. Tick. Talk. Nuclear end times were on everyone's mind, and Russia was the enemy in most every movie. Hollywood stoked anxieties further with the China Syndrome and Red Dawn, which brought the threat right to our own backyards. Nuclear War's most horrid reckonings were presented in the network TV movie titled The Day After. Families across America sat in their living rooms, eyes glued to the television set, Anxieties multiplying with every commercial break. Tick Tock Ten-year-old Samantha Smith watched that movie with her family. She was scared. However, unlike the adults in the room, and in the country, Samantha was proactive. Samantha took it upon herself to write a letter to Yuri Andropov, the new leader of the Soviet Union. The letter congratulated the Kremlin on his new job and asked, Why would you want to start a war? We should all live together in peace. Her letter made it into Soviet newspapers. However, her questions remained unanswered. But Samantha did not give up. She wrote another letter. The fifth grader's tenacity paid off. Soon Samantha had a response and a new pen pal. Andropov even invited Samantha and her family for a visit. They accepted, and the Smiths' Soviet vacation became news all over the world. Samantha was an American diplomat, doing more to prevent nuclear holocaust than all the adults in Washington, D.C. Did I mention she was only ten? Many people shared Samantha's beautifully simplistic rationale. The unusual thing was that, this time, the adults listened. It was a moment in history where the whole world paid attention to a child. Tick. Talk. Instead of nuclear annihilation, when 15-year-old Greta Thunberg skipped school on a Friday in 2018, she was speaking out against climate change. Greta helped the world to care. I don't know how you spent your late teens, but Greta spent hers speaking her mind to the United Nations Climate Change Conference and to the world. Just one year later, she was Time Magazine's Person of the Year and on Forbes' list for the world's 100 most powerful women. Tick The innocence of childhood can magnify the wonderment of their truth. 
and it can tamp down the conceit of adults who deem themselves wise. It can add a prescient sense of authority to their insights. Our adult brains assess the past, often dwelling on every negative experience that ever happened to us. Whereas a child looks at life with limited past experiences, but a seemingly limitless future. Less pretense, more plain-spoken, unsparing truth. Talk. These two young girls spoke truth to power. They offered their guidance, perspective, and leadership. But they're not anomalies. The irregularity was that adults listened. I wonder what other insights children share that we should pay attention to. How much wisdom do we let slip by without a moment's contemplation? Revelations lost in the rabble. Do we require a clock on a ticking time bomb racing towards doomsday to make us pay attention? Sometimes it seems that's the case. Tick. Talk. My buddy David had a rough go of it in his teens. He had a brain tumor that required three successive surgeries. The tumor and the treatments left David frail, unsteady, and with an alarming lack of balance. But, like so many pediatric cancer patients, David was determined. He was seemingly impervious to his limitations. The camp was full of rocky trails and uneven grades, and the snake's cabin was all the way at the top of the hill. But, over and over, he insisted he could make the hike, and, over and over, his cabin mates would catch him as he stumbled to the left or to the right and return him to his center of gravity. Through it all, David remained upbeat. He believed you have to live life every, every day. I've always liked that. Live life every, every day. I try to follow his example. It turned out that David had his own countdown clock. I guess we all do, really. It's unfortunate that many of us need a life-threatening disease or an end-of-the-world-as-we-know-it scenario to start paying attention, to listen, to act. Live life every, every day. I hear you, David. It's time to act. Tick. The Science of Flatulence Boys are disgusting. Every last one of them. Stinky, too. It's been said, Gas is good, and gas is healthy. It's wholesome, and means your digestive tract is in good working condition. But kids, boys in particular, always turn gas into potty humor. And I admit, it can be pretty darn funny. For the record, I myself have never farted, but... I bore witness to more than my share as an innocent bystander, an olfactory spectator, if you will. Some might think it isn't fair to someone with, say, gastrointestinal control. And that may be true, but it's every boy for himself. 
If you choose to pass by the taco bar without beaning up, it's your own fault, and you will be penalized. I once implemented a gag order on flatulence, but it was tough to enforce. Passing gas is a normal human body function, and, if nothing else, it gives us a common bond. We're farters, every last one of us. The word fart comes from an old English word, fartian. That means to break wind. And when you bunk with 15 or so adolescent boys, it's a given. If you're not fortunate enough for it to be you with the gas, you're out of luck. You can put on your military-grade gas mask and prepare for the worst, or head back to the kitchen and prepare your own counterattack. Side note. There's no Hallmark card for this situation. I looked. I once had a fart named after me. The Bob. According to Camper Anthony, a great deal of dietary considerations go into preparation of the Bob. Enchiladas, refried beans, chocolate milk, and tater tots. Its only known rivals are the Aunt Debbie and the Dolores sandwich, which can be smelled all the way to Canada. Hard to compete with that. Yes, farts are funny. Farts have been looked on as being humorous for a millennia. The earliest recorded fart joke dates back to 1900 BCE in Samaria. There's a classic form of Japanese art known as fart battle. And there are even people whose job title is flatulist, or those who fart for a living. Le Petomane whose name meant fartomaniac, was a prominent flatulent in France during the late 19th and early 20th century. More recently, Mr. Methane has been bringing his farting talent to the stage, even appearing on Britain's Got Talent. Farts have appeared in the writings of Shakespeare, Chaucer, and Dante. Benjamin Franklin even wrote an essay titled Fart Proudly. It goes to reason, if one toot elicits a snicker, two should be a hoot, and three, three toots can incite a riot. Not to get too scientific on you, but adolescent farts are more contagious than the coronavirus, and soon an entire cabin is permeated with mixed farticles, sometimes as much as 12,000 FPPM, particulate parts per million. Various farticles can combine into farticules with a stench of great complexity. But that's nothing compared to farticle fusion, which can blow the whole roof off a cabin. Fortunately, that hasn't happened for some years. I've heard that if your nose is exposed to a foul odor for long enough, it will shut down its receptors and you won't even notice the odor anymore. Now I'm no scientist, but I'm here to tell you that's bunk. It's a hoax. I dare any scientist who disagrees to spend the night sealed in a cabin with 15 beamed-up boys. You can do a double-blind study or whatever you deem necessary, and you won't even have to bother tabulating the results. Without fail, you'll agree, boys are disgusting. And of course, farts are funny. Publisher's Disclaimer
This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for flatulent medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have about your flatulent condition. In the event of an emergency, call your doctor immediately. Reliance on any information provided by this podcast is not advised and should be done solely at your own risk. Time with Uncle Bob. Huh, ain't that funkin' now? <laughs> Welcome back to the continuing story of the snurf that snarfed Camp Sunrise. The next night, we were excited about the formal dinner and dance. The dinner went well, with everyone dressed in crazy outfits and snapping all kinds of selfies. The dance was epic, with pounding music and lights strobing throughout the lodge. But all at once, there was another explosion, and the snurf showed up in the rafters over the DJ. He claimed he had an important announcement. I'm here to inform you, your dance is over. Done. Finished. Capoto. A loud booing came from the crowd. The campers just wanted to return to dancing. Ahem. The snurf cleared his throat, and once the room quieted down, he continued. What? You thought you were going to boogie, oogie, oogie till you just couldn't boogie no more? Ha! No luck there. The snurf's face beamed in an evil genius kind of way, enjoying our distraught. Instead he continued. I'm going to read poetry until you all fall asleep. Shakespearean poetry. Snurf style. He wasn't joking. The snurf launched into a poem titled Ode to a Milk Machine. Your stainless steel really makes me squeal, he recited aloud. And your precious white cow juice... I drink like a mongoose, or retrofitted papoose. His poetry made little sense, and fortunately, before he got much further, he was drowned out by the DJ playing the Macarena. Crisis averted. That's all for now, kids. But remember, camp goes on forever. And the adventure never ends. Thanks for tuning in to Wallace Books and the Jello Wars podcast. The kids of Arizona Camp Sunrise have been my greatest mentors, and they're here to assist you too. You can find additional episodes of the podcast and more about the book, Jello Wars, and other battles with childhood cancer at wallacebooks.com. That's W-A-L-L-A-S-S books.com. Just go to the website or search Wallace Books wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe and like. You can learn more about Arizona Camp Sunrise at azcampsunrise.org. 
Podcast theme music by M Dub Music. Sound effects from Sonic Boom. Keep listening to Wallace Books Jello Wars podcast and let the kids change your life for the better. See you down the road.